0: I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. California wants to compensate its Black residents for slavery and its lingering effects, which have resulted in generations of racial disparities. Those disparities were placed front and center in 2020 by the pandemic and the nation's racial reckoning following the police murder of George Floyd. That momentum led Governor Gavin Newsom and state legislators to establish the state's reparations task force. It's the first of its kind in the country and the first undertaking of its scale. It could have major implications not only for black Californians, but for the rest of the country. It might not surprise you. Conversations about black identity are really complex and not everyone's on the same page. For months, the nine-member task force has been gridlocked over the pivotal question of who should qualify for potential restitution. Secretary of State Shirley Weber wrote the bill that created the task force, and she's been adamant that reparations should prioritize people who can trace their ancestry back to slavery.
1: Reparation is for those who are the descendants of slaves first because of the devastation they suffered from hundreds of years of no wages
0: and no ability to own land and accrue wealth. Other members of the task force, though, disagree. Los Angeles civil rights attorney Lisa Holder says it would be more meaningful for reparations to go to all Black residents from the get-go. In this moment, we have to embrace this concept that Black lives matter, not just a sliver of those Black lives, because Black lives are in danger, especially today. At the end of February, after hours of debate and public comment, the task force voted to postpone their discussions around reparations eligibility. They'll start again at the end of March. Chronicle columnist Justin Phillips says that potentially requiring Black Californians to prove their ancestry in order to receive reparations could pose a real challenge and an unnecessary hardship. He's here to explain why. Justin, so nice to have you on Fifth Emission.
1: Thanks for having me. I I always enjoy doing this.
0: So, Justin, we're tackling a complex topic, and I'm glad you're here to walk us through it. I thought maybe we could start with a simpler question, which is, what do we mean when we say reparations, and how is the state of California thinking about it?
1: You would think that that is a very simple question, where it's just, you know, redress for the past harm of slavery of America's original sin like that's that's generally the basis of it but the text for the California bill that created the task force to study reparations I think purposely somewhat leaves what that could look like kind of vague it's study and develop reparation proposals for African Americans with a special consideration for Americans who are descendants of persons enslaved in the United States and so I think That language is about as direct as you'll get. And the concept of reparations can be a little bit nebulous, but essentially we're talking about California financially addressing um, the country's original sin, which was slavery.
0: People might think this is an impossible task, but it's good to remind folks that reparations have been done before. In 1988, for example, the government gave $20,000 to surviving Japanese people who were incarcerated during World War II. What are some other examples?
1: That's such a great point. Like, we aren't in uncharted territory. Reparations, like that whole system of redress, you know, for egregious injustices isn't foreign to us. Like, uh, Native Americans have received land and billions of dollars for various benefits and programs for being forcibly exiled from their native lands. We also have the Marshall Plan, which the U.S., used to help ensure that the Jewish population received reparations for the Holocaust, um, which included investments over time. And Black Americans are essentially the only group that has not received reparations for state-sanctioned racial discrimination. And it's kind of wild. It's a conversation that we've been having for a while. And we know this while slavery itself afforded white families the ability to start to build that generational wealth that has lasted until now.
0: Mm -hmm. And right now, the state's reparations task force is in a gridlock. And it's because they're trying to figure out who's eligible for these reparations that you're describing here. You know, some members of the task force, including its creator, California Secretary of State Shirley Weber, says the descendants of enslaved people should get priority. Why is that problematic from your perspective?
1: That's a great question. It's such a strange one to have to answer. All Black Californians are still, you know, suffering from plight that exists in the shadow of slavery, you know, when it comes to housing or income inequality or access to education, like all of these things are legacy issues related to slavery and we're all feeling them. Yet if we focus on one group that can directly trace their lineage to you know the enslaved in this country. It almost, it almost kind of ignores an element of what that other group is going through. You know, like all Black Californians are experiencing this one thing, yet only a specific group is going to get uh, redress for that thing.
0: In your column, you point out the distinction between race and lineage, and I, I wonder if you can explain that to me. Why is that so important to make that distinction when we're talking about Black Americans?
1: I think, you know, part of the reason why that distinction itself is so important, it keeps the idea of reparations from getting too large, where, you know, you can focus it on a specific group of people whose ancestry goes directly to someone who was kidnapped from Africa, brought here in chains, and forced to work against their will. And, That is a, you know, it's a finite number of people. So when you're talking about this really bold kind of step of reparations, you can point to this direct group and say they're the ones that are going to get it. Now, compare that to being like all black people are going to get it. And now, you know, what is the definition of Black? Like, how do some Black people identify? And then you start having conversations about what their backgrounds might be, where their families came from. What does it mean to identify as a Black American, as a Black person in this country? And then it becomes a little bit of a complicated conversation. But I think the reason why race and lineage are such integral parts of this conversation is so they could make the reparations approach manageable.
0: And the argument for having reparations be applied across all Black Californians, and it's an argument that you're making in your column, I mean, that really points to the fact that the experience of being Black in America, it doesn't really just apply to people with lineage to people that were enslaved, right? When people are racist to black Americans, they're not thinking directly about that in those moments.
1: Exactly, right. No one's asking me for my, you know, ancestry.com password before they call me the (laughs) N-word when driving by me. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. black people get treated like black people... In this country. And that and that just, you know, we have plenty of data to back up what that actually means. We don't even have to get into that right now. But I think there's a lived experience that we all share that doesn't depend on having papers to back up who your great-great-great-grandfather or grandmother was. You know, we live in this country that is that has systems that are inherently racist, and we experience that all the time. And That is what's very familiar to all of us.
0: Your column also points out that requiring proof of ancestry would be a hardship for a lot of Black Californians. Explain that to me.
1: The task force might have an answer to this. I just haven't heard it yet. You know, I know they have to explore what genealogical research would cost or what it would look like. So I'm just kind of projecting forward some concerns that I have. And one of them is we leave this process of researching your ancestry on the shoulders of each Black Californian. That is not an easy task. This isn't something that's simple. Ancestry.com might romanticize looking up your roots, but I think that's largely for white people who can trace European roots to... Some definitive list, or if they had a relative that ended up at Ellis Island and there was a passenger list and they were able to go through it that way, that might be simple. But, you know, black people were brought to this country as cargo. There aren't passenger lists for us. You're not going to be able to look up your great-great-grandfather, whoever that descendant might be, outside of like a slave owner's will or a bill of sale where they're identified by skin color and age and that's it. That research is really, really complicated. And, any, and, and it isn't even just that it's complicated. It's also, it can be expensive. Like it isn't free mm-hmm. to get subscriptions to these, you know, ancestry websites. It isn't free to have to go print out old marriage certificates or birth certificates. This stuff all costs money. If you want to do a DNA test, that stuff's expensive too. Like none of this mm-hmm. stuff is free. And so that's my concern where... Black people in the state are less likely to have high speed Internet, less likely to have access to computers at home. All of this stuff is part of researching your ancestry, and it can be very much uh, a hardship on you know a population that already is at the lower end of the spectrum of so many things.
0: We'll be right back. You can support the newsroom that creates Fifth Emission by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. This is uncharted territory for California in terms of dealing reparations for Black Americans specifically. From your perspective, why do you think it's so important to maintain a broader standard for reparations eligibility from the start.
1: We see it ourselves, like walk through the Tenderloin in San Francisco or wherever you want to go where there might be extreme uh, black plight. And you're not going to sit there and think, the individuals that are out here suffering, the ones who can show me that they're a descendant of a slave in this country, they're the ones who deserve to be uplifted out of these cycles of poverty and like disenfranchisement. No, you're going to think like black people need this leg up. All of these people are still suffering from this institution that founded the country. They're still suffering in the shadow of those. And so That is my preference. The reparations talk has been on the like in the fringes for years, like a lot of black activists, but it's become mainstream over the last couple of years. And we didn't have any specific metrics for rallying behind black people who had suffered some form of injustice. Right. Like Mm -hmm. we just knew that this was kind of like a universal kind of pain. And I think we can take that same approach with reparations.
0: There has been discussions about having sort of a tiered approach to all of this, you know, prioritizing people uh, that have lineage to descendants of enslaved people. Uh, There is so much concern that if reparations are applied too broadly, that's going to be something that's going to be hard to defend in court. And some people just are afraid that nothing will get done if we start from a broad criteria, like we got to start somewhere. Do you think that there's a point to that?
1: I I absolutely do. Like uh, Reverend Amos Brown is on the task force, always mentions paralysis by analysis, right? And that prioritization is still something that the task force is focusing on and you know, uh, I essentially think like whenever a decision gets reached, you're gonna go from the top to the bottom. So whoever's at the top is gonna be able to get whatever that reparations looks like and then we'll look at the rest afterward. And we've seen how quickly this country and this state moves off of black issues. So my fear is that the state will approve something, these are what reparations look like. These are the first people we're going to take care of. And they'll be like, all right, roll that out for a couple of years. What about the people below that? Nothing ever comes. So the mm-hmm. prioritization mm-hmm. itself is kind of saying who's going to get the thing, right? Yeah. And that's the fear that I have, the idea that there could be Black people who need this kind of help who don't get it.
0: Mm-hmm. This is all a very sophisticated conversation about race. And if we look at other parts of the country, people are fighting against having any kinds of discussions around race, like teaching critical race theory in schools. Do you feel like the state's reparations task force has a good handle on all these complexities that you're alluding to right now.
1: Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. I I think, you know, honestly, I think they do a great job and that's why it's so complicated. Mm. You know, that's why I can write columns about it because they bring up so many different viewpoints where it's like, Oh, well I can see, I I understand that one. Well, I don't understand that one, but the fact that they can all be brought up in the same space is absolutely fantastic. They're doing a great job with an extremely tough subject and I think that they're bringing up all the relevant points now What happens next is that they just choose the right paths to follow. There's going to be a lot that's going to shape the legacy of the task force, but I think one of the main things will be whether or not they can ensure that Black Californians are left in a better place after the task force has done its work and disbanded.
0: The state is the first in the nation to have a reparations task force. Do you feel optimistic or something else about all of this?
1: I do. <laughs> America has this pushback against, you know, the truth. Like it, it, That's the, the basic way you can say it, about the truth about our, our ugly past. But what the Reparations Task Force does is bring that ugly truth to the forefront all the time. They're having a very necessary conversation. It's not always going to be easy, but the fact that they are having it and people are paying attention, it, it makes me hopeful because the longer we can keep these things going you know, the longer we can keep movements of this kind going, the better chance there are that they'll have a good result.
0: And from your perspective, you write on issues about race for the Chronicle quite often. What would it mean for Black Californians if the state can actually get on the same page and pull this off?
1: Man, it'd be a hell of a thing, wouldn't it? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I think it would say a lot about how the state prioritizes Black issues. There's this thing about being in a liberal quote unquote place where everyone just assumes that black and brown communities, the issues that they face are just going to get addressed because there are these kind-hearted, well-meaning white electeds who want to lead the way and work with them. That's not always the case. And we've seen that over the last couple of years. So I think this task force accomplishing this would show that the state really does care about black issues, not just like on a performative level, Well, they'll do the foundational kind of work to address the issues that Black Californians have been talking about for a long time.
0: This would be about action and not just talk.
1: There you go.
0: (laughs) Justin, thank you so much for talking to me. I appreciate it. Justin Phillips is a columnist at The Chronicle. His latest column about the California Reparations Task Force is online now at sfchronicle.com and on the Chronicle app. Thanks to Karen Creighton for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening.